My name's John. I'm an alcoholic. So Dennis says at the end of the meeting, there'll be less people than right now. I run them out of here, don't I? I'm going to get bored, fall asleep. Bobby, how much time do you got? One year. Well, yeah. You got a sponsor? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) You listen to what she says? How about you? You got a sponsor? (laughs) Okay. There's... I tell you, you can find anything in the book. You know that? You can find anything you want in the book. You can find 13 step in a book. You really can. I hesitate to show you this, but just so you'll know, I, this, this, this just tore me up. Years ago when I, when I was reading the book, and I read that, it just tore me up. Here's what it says here on page 249. Well, which, which editions is this? The new edition. Man. Of the fourth edition. It's great. Just, just listen to this. Don't you know the group just went nuts on this? Here's the story about the guy. Vicious Cycle. It's his story here. It says in June 1945. <laughs> With another member, I made my first and only 12-step call on a female alcoholic. And a year later, I married her. <laughs> Don't you know the group went nuts? <laughs> oh, God, you can find it all in the book. I want to welcome you. This is a, I'm, I'm glad to be here this year. And... Uh, and I, I don't know what we're going to do. Uh, I got a kick out. I always have my little disclosure that I want to always mention because, you know, the book, they usually read, you know, if the speaker says something you can't reconcile with the book, just disregard it. Well, you can reconcile 13 steps with the book, you know. But uh, I have my little disclosure, right? Because uh, I don't do this very good, and I don't do AA very good. Uh, I do as good as I can, but I don't do it all that great. <laughs> but I don't know anybody that does. And I think that's... Uh, uh, I love the meeting after the meeting when we're out having coffee, you know, and we're trying to help another alcoholic who's usually not there. <laughs> and you're just helping them a little bit, you know, trying to talk about them. And, and somebody inevitably says, right, they always say, oh, yeah, that guy, he talks the talk, but he can't walk the walk, right? <laughs> Who are we kidding I mean, none of us can walk the walk. If I could walk the walk, I wouldn't need to come here. I come here because I can't walk the walk. And I guess what the book says when they're reading how it works tonight, they get through reading the 12 steps, what does it say? It says, wow, what what an order. Can't go through with it. Don't be discouraged. No one. They don't exclude anybody. They don't exclude Bill Wilson. They don't exclude Dr. Bob. They certainly don't exclude John Allred. See, they say, no one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. So nobody can do this deal. 
Yeah, those of us that can't do it, like talking about the rest of you that can't. <laughs> yeah, I don't do it, but he don't do it. You know? Usually when they're not around, it's the best time to do it. I, uh... I was reading the other night, you know, where I was talking about the, the normal drinker, and it's the great obsession of every alcoholic to drink like the normal drinker. And... Uh, and I don't know whether that's true or not. I don't know whether that's ever been my obsession. I think my obsession, because I, once I, I didn't know what they drank like, you know? So I guess that was my obsession. I, I think I, I wanted to not get in trouble, like the normal drinkers don't get in trouble. And the book says, you know, that medicine, medical research has not yet developed that pill that we can take. It may someday do it, but it hasn't yet. I'm coming to the conclusion now that if they ever come up with that pill, none of y'all are going to take it. Because none of y'all want to drink like a normal a normal drinker. I mean, do you want to drink like a normal drinker drinks, really? you want to do that? <laughs> Have you seen what they do? <laughs> There's no way I want to drink like a normal drinker. I mean, I'm married to a normal drinker once. You know? <laughs> You know? It's just insane the way we're, the, the way they drink. I was we were riding around. It's August. It's hot. You know, in August she says, "I I feel like a beer. Can we get a beer?" I said, "Yeah, we'll get a beer. You want a beer?" I said, "You want to stop and go in someplace?" She says, "No, I just want to get one for the road." So I pulled in a liquor store, went in there, I bought a six pack, and came out and and put in, she said, "What? What is this?" She said, "You wanted a beer." She said, yeah, not six. <laughs> I didn't know they sold, do they sell singles? That's what I said. I said, I said, I don't think they sell singles in there. She said, yeah, they sell singles in there. I couldn't believe it, you know. So she drank that beer. Now, here's the, okay, that was in August. Christmas time, I'm over to her place, and she's, we're having a Christmas party. And I open up the refrigerator to get some stuff out, and down on the very bottom shelf in the door are four beers. I said, no. <laughs> I, said, I asked her, I said, Pastor, I said, what are these four beers? She said, oh, those are the beers we bought in August. <laughs> She said, yeah, Daddy was up. He, he likes to have beer with his pizza. We had pizza one Sunday and he drank a beer. But there are four. You want to drink like that? There's nobody here going to drink like that. I don't want to drink like that. Not at all like that. I mean, when I started drinking, I started drinking when I was 25. Okay, I started drinking when I was 25 and I drank alcohol from day one. I mean, I never drank when I was a kid growing up. My mom never drank. Brothers and sisters don't drink. I grew up in a very normal environment. Very middle-income America type stuff. Went to college just like you're supposed to go to college. You know, never drank. Finally got out and went into the insurance business in Salt Lake City. Things were going pretty good. I'm petrified. I'm not drinking, but I'm petrified. I don't know what I'm afraid of, but I go in the office in the morning. Secretary comes in. She gives you those peep things. <laughs> so what, what are these? She says, those are your phone messages. Who, who from? <laughs> I don't know. I said, what do you think they want? 
<laughs> I guess they want to buy insurance, you know. I think for me, I mean, phones are scary as hell. God, I used to hate phones. That phone ring, ring, ring. I tell you young alcoholics, you, you got it made, man. You have no idea the stark terror of the phone before there was caller ID. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about a scary deal. Have that phone sitting there ringing off the hook and not know who it is. <sighs> oh, I'll make you drink. <laughs> have an idea. But uh, I was just, I finally, finally, when my second child was born, Stuart called me up and congratulated me and, and worked. He said, well, listen, we're going out drinking tonight, you're, you're getting drunk. So I had my first drunk. And I was a great drunk. God, it was a great drunk. We got to this private club. You got to be a member of a private club in Utah doing drinking. So we got to this private club. It's called the Winery. It's right across from the Salt Palace. It's no longer there, but you walk down these steps, walked in there. They have lights flashing, live band. Women in there. God, it was great. I just, I had a great drunk. I don't know what I drank. They bring a drink over. A lot of people said they know what they drink. I don't know, because I didn't know what to drink. So they just ordered me drinks. They bring a drink over. It's dark, dark drink. Got a cherry in it. I drink it down. You know? The next drink's light. Light colored drink. Got a twist around it there. I just drink it down. Then they told me, eat the lemon. You know, so, so, so my breath won't be bad. So I ate a lot of lemons. You know? Just drank whatever they I had a great drunk. Danced all night. <laughs> Did I dance? I'm a good dancer. <laughs> yeah, I know y'all don't believe that, but that's true. I am. <laughs> Danced all night. Danced with danced with two lesbians. <laughs> They're out there dancing together, you know? And I thought, they probably want me to join them. <laughs> I go out and dance, and then they left together, you know, and there I was alone, you know. But I learned something, no rejection. No re- you're just drunk. When you're drunk, you're just drunk. No rejection. <laughs> Sat down, drank that next drink, you know. And I got up the next morning, felt pretty good. No hangover, you know. I, I called up Stuart. I said, Stuart, I had a ball. He said, yeah, you flat got after it. I said, do you think you're going to have a drink tonight? He said, I don't know. I said, I'll probably stop by and have one. I said, what, what time are you going to do that? He said, well, i got to work till 3 o'clock this afternoon. I said, why don't we meet at 3.30? So I meet him at 3.30 another place. Got drunk again. So I like to drink to get drunk. I remember going in there telling Stuart, Stuart, I don't like the way it tastes. I don't like the way alcohol tastes, but I like to get drunk. What can I drink that will get me drunk, but I don't have to taste the alcohol? Because I got the drink. So he came over. He ordered him whiskey, I guess. He ordered me a CMF. That was a great drink. CMF came in a great big gomlet. It was a frozen concoction. Uh, it had Kahlua, Galliano, vodka, brandy, and cream all blended up. <laughs> Tastes like a chocolate malt. Frozen concoction. And I drink those CMFs. Stood for Creamy Mother. <laughs> I'd be okay to go to work after a couple of those. You know? Wonderful drink. About a week later, uh, I'm down at the Joker Club. Now, Joker Club is not a private club. The Joker Club is just a beer bar. they got beer bars in Utah, and there are three, two beer bars. Just three, two beer. And uh, I want to be honest about the Joker Club. It, it wasn't a very f- fancy beer bar. Okay. Okay, it, was a, it was a topless joint. <laughs> And one a very fancy topless joint. 
They had one dancer in the whole place. <laughs> I see them advertised here. They got a hundred dancers. Jesus. All at the same time, you know, I don't know what that was. But they had one dancer. You had, you had to be drunk to appreciate her. I mean, it was just... <laughs> so, but... This honest truth, I'll tell you this truth. I was telling this that there's a recovery thing over in Dallas. Called, it used, I don't know what it's called now. It used to be called Help is Possible. Hip. Help is Possible. And I was speaking down there, and I told that story. And this gal came up and said she used to dance at the Joker. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I said, okay, 10th step. I'll make amends to you. <laughs> But anyway, I, uh, I'm down here at the Joker Club at lunchtime. Uh, uh, check out the lunch crowd. And uh, Price and I run into two guys I grew up with, Price and Boat. Price and Boat are down here. These guys, are, they live right around the corner from me. They're saying we went to school together from the time I was in kindergarten. And uh, they're drinking beer. And they said, come on, buy, we'll buy you a beer. I said, no, because I didn't drink a lot of beer. Because uh, yeah, you got to drink a lot of three, two beer to get drunk. you know. And then when I drank all that beer, I'd burp a lot, so I didn't drink a lot of beer, because I like to get drunk, and uh, but I said, let's go get, get us a real drink, and they said, we don't we don't have membership for those real clubs, and I said, I got a membership, hell, I've been drinking a week, you know, <laughs> we get a membership, so we got in the car, and we drive down to the speakeasy, and, and uh, they didn't know what to drink, they wanted to drink rum coke, I said, no, I got the drink, I got the drink for us, so we went in, and I ordered, I ordered them CMS, they liked them too. We started drinking those CMS. We started meeting every day, 3 o'clock. We meet down to speak. He's drinking those CMS. Waitresses come. They call us the malt shop crew when we walked in. <laughs> because the malt shop crew. Get the blender out. Yeah. And about, about a week after that, Stuart, my drinking buddy, he goes up and says, man, he says, I got to teach you, take you and teach you how to do this. It's embarrassing to go out drinking with you. So he means embarrassing. He says, well, I says, you're blowing my image, man. It's just, you're blowing me. You're, you're, blowing, you're blowing my image. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we get down there, down the bar, you know. We're playing that little macho deal. You finally get some women over the table. And then you order that tutti fruit shit. He said, it's embarrassing. They bring us got an umbrella in it, you know. It's just blowing my image. I said, well, what am I going to drink? He said, I'll show you. So we got another place called the Black Bull. Never get the Black Bull. And uh, we're down there, and... He says, uh, now watch this. Waitress came by. He says, we're going to have a couple of black jack up water back. <laughs> that sounds like my drink. <laughs> black jack up water back. That's what I want to drink. I like, to, I like to order that. Give me a black jack up water back. You can just have class. So I'm excited about my new drink. The waitress comes by. She brings her drink. I've never been so disappointed in my life. <laughs> I'm used to drinking these frozen concoctions, you know. waitress brings a shot glass with some dark stuff and a glass of water. <laughs> I thought, Stuart, what kind of joint is this? They don't mix our drinks for us here. We're going to mix our own drinks here. <laughs> he says, we don't mix this. He, says, he held up. He said, now this is Cadillac. Whiskey. This is American sour mash sipping whiskey. He says, so we're supposed to sip it? He said, oh no. We guzzle it. Sip your water. <laughs> I thought that's why they call it sipping whiskey. I thought you guzzle the whiskey, sip the water. That's sipping whiskey. So he says, now pay attention, John. When you do this, for God's sakes, don't breathe. <laughs> so he held it. We chatted. He smelled it a little bit. And then he downed it, set it down, took a sip of water. 
I picked mine up. We chat. I went to smell it. Boy, it just cleared the nostrils on that. That's definitely. <laughs> I remember not to breathe. I downed it. I remember, man, it went down my throat. My throat got all warm and tingly. Went down my chest. My chest got all warm and tingly. Hit my stomach. My stomach got all warm and tingly. Went down my legs. <laughs> I turned to shoot and I said, damn. I said, let's get us another. He says to me, no, he says, we got to sip our water. See, that's my problem. That's my problem right there. I, I never learned to sip water. Okay? If I learned to sip water, I would need to come to these damn meetings. You know? But see, I want that second one more than the first, and I want the third more than the second. I like to drink to get drunk. That's what I do. I never drank socially. Never. I never got that cocktail or that glass of wine and walked around the cocktail, you know, the bar and watched the ice melt and stirred it and visit. I drink to get drunk. You know, in fact, three weeks after I first drunk, I remember pulling in front of the liquor store at 10 in the morning because they open at 10. So I'm on time. I get there at 10. They open the doors. Go in. I get. I buy three little mini bottles of vodka. Those little mini bottles you get on the airplane, you know. Because they told me you can't smell vodka. So I'd buy those mini bottles, I'd sit out in the car, and I'd crack those open, and I'd suck those down, and that, that's hard. Holes only that big in those bottles. <laughs> you got a hernia sucking on those puppies, you really will. You know? <laughs> and then I'd be okay to go to work, you know? And, uh, and my life's changing immediately. I'm getting all kinds of trouble. And the mothers were just getting mad about drunk drivers back then. They were getting organized in the 70s and uh, ganging up on me. And I read an article in the newspaper that Matt had put out, and they said that only one in 2,000 drunk drivers ever gets picked up. One in 2,000. I read that, and I thought, that's pretty good odds. One in 2,000. If I get drunk every night, i got like five, six years before I need to worry about getting picked up. DWI. You know? I've been drinking six months to get my first DWI. <laughs> what are the odds of that? <laughs> Unbelievable. So I, I'm in the drunk tank, and I kind of thought, well, this means I can go for like 10 more years for my next DWI. <laughs> I don't need to worry about that. But I'm getting in trouble. People are starting to tell me I'm an alcoholic. I hate it when they do that because there's no correct response. So they start saying, you know, you're an alcoholic. You can't say I'm not. Because they say, see, denial. First clue to alcoholism is denial. You're in denial. And you can't say, yeah, you're probably right because then you got to go to A. So the only, you just, you're just screwed when they start telling you you're an alcoholic. I say, well, what's an alcoholic? How do you know you're an alcoholic? What is that? And they say, it's a disease. Okay, then let's go find out. Let's go to the doctor and have some testing. Well, we can't do that. Well, how do you know you're an alcoholic? I mean, well, can't we go get like some blood analysis done? No, we can't do that. Well, how do you know you're an alcoholic? What's an alcoholic? Can we go get like a CAT scan or MRI or something like that? No. Well, how do you, what's an alcoholic? How do you know you're an alcoholic? Well, yeah, here's the deal. Y'all want me to quit drinking. Okay. What happens 20 years from now I find out I'm not alcoholic? <laughs> I've blown 20 years I could have been drinking. <laughs> I'm not willing to take that kind of risk. Just not going <laughs> to. So they say, well, you drink too much. As soon as they told me I drank too much, I know I'm not an alcoholic. Because I never drank too much in my life. There's not an alcoholic in this room that ever drank too much. See, I am an alcoholic. 
but not because I drank too much. I'm an alcoholic because I couldn't drink enough. You ever drink enough? Oh, yeah, I can see somebody from this group <laughs> go to the bar and have a couple cocktails. The bartender says, you giving her a cocktail? Oh, golly. Hmm. That's 8.30. I think I've had enough. <laughs> Never had enough. You know? You can't drink enough. See, if you can't drink enough, it's impossible to drink too much. You'll never do it. I mean, I go to the bar at noon, right? We get to the bar at noon. We're storing our drinking at noon. Now, it's midnight, 12 hours. We've been drinking in the same goddamn bar for 12 hours. And we're drunk. We know it. Hell, we're talking about it. <laughs> Go on, Stuart. I'm drunk. This is me, too. Can I buy another drink? <laughs> See, you hadn't had, if you can't drink enough, it's impossible to drink too much. See, normal drinkers, you know who you are. <laughs> See, those normal drinkers, they can drink enough. And so occasionally, but not very often, they might drink too much. But if you're an alcoholic, like I'm an alcoholic and you can't drink enough, it's impossible to drink too much. It just ain't going to happen. If your definition of an alcoholic is something that that ain't me. My problem is I can't drink. In fact, when I drink, an incredible thing happens. When I drink, man, I'm, I'm, I'm happy, joyous, and free. It fills every pore. I'm okay. When I'm not drinking, man, I'm driven by a hundred forms of fear. I'm scared to death. And to feel better, I will drink again. In fact, when I drink, you know those promises in the book? Come after step nine. Those of you who read the book. And it's in both editions. <laughs> after step nine has these promises. It's got 12 promises. When I drink, those promises come true in my life. I don't know about you, but after that first drink, the first drink, I begin to know a new freedom and a new happiness. Every time it works for me. And after two or three drinks, I don't know about you, but that fear of financial insecurity just kind of slips away. <laughs> Money? Yeah, we got checks, you know? <laughs> okay. After six or seven drinks, I don't know about you, but I intuitively know how to handle situations that are bad for me. You know? And I want to share that information with a lot of people. You know? And after 12, 13 weeks, it never dawned on me, but it became real clear that alcohol was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. You know? And you want me to quit? Why are you going to quit? You're not going to quit. when you, That's not even denial. You're not even in denial. You know? And that's such a wimpy word anyway. That's not in the book, by the way. Where the book doesn't say we're in denial. doesn't say that. You know, that's a wimpy word. Denial is the inability to accept the truth. You know, the book doesn't say that's what we are. You know, we're, we're much sicker than that. The book calls us delusional. <laughs> now, that's a good word for us. We're delusional. You know what that means? That means that you cannot distinguish fantasy from reality. 
You're sick. You know, you're delusional, you know? You're not in denial, you're delusional. I tell you, in my group, when you get to denial, you're making progress. You're, you're getting well when you get to denial. You know, we just don't want to accept the truth. We can't even distinguish reality from fantasy, you know? And you want me to, I'm not going to quit. You're going to quit. You know, when, you, when, when alcohol is doing that stuff for you. Now, here's the reality. The reality is, when I first came into AA and they read me those 12 promises, I thought it was a Mickey Mouse deal. I thought, hey, what I really need is a job. You know, the promise of a, of a good, you know, $100, a year job. That's what I want. And, you know, a place to live and a girlfriend. And, and those are promises that, you know, a guy could sink his teeth into. And, uh, <laughs> didn't mean it that way. But anyway, they, and they, they, uh, they, and, and, and they're promising me those. See, the truth is, I have always, my whole life, demanded to have those promises. I insist on having those promises. Alcohol gave me those promises. The delusion of those promises. And the truth is, if I don't find a way to get those promises in my life today without drinking, I'm going to go drink to get them. Because you can go through every one of those 12 promises and alcohol gave you those promises. And if you don't have a way to get those promises without drinking, you're going to go drink to get them. They're that important to be alcoholic. And I didn't know any of that then. Didn't know any of that. All I know is that it's making those promises come true. The only way you're going to get those promises is to work the steps. You can you can jack around this program all you want to jack around with it and hang out in the fellowship and you know what? You're going to get drunk. Because you're going to come to the point where you demand those promises. And alcohol will give them to you. Every time. It's incredible. You know? If I didn't know that, then all I know is this is working for me. And, and I got a lot of problems. Got a lot of problems. But alcohol ain't one of them. You know? People, they give you that funky little test, you know? Take this little test, it's 20 questions, and it says, uh, I want you to take that test and pass it non-alcoholic. I, I did it three times. I mean, there's a little question that takes this and that. Does alcohol cause problems uh, in your marriage? No. I got a lot of problems in my marriage, but alcohol ain't one of them. Okay? It's philosophical, really. <laughs> we should have talked about it before we got married, but we just went ahead and got married. And... Uh, See, she was under the philosophy that when you get married, she wanted to be married, you know, like seven days a week. <laughs> I didn't want to be married that way. I kind of thought we ought to be married five days a week. Okay? I'll be married Monday through Friday, separate on Friday, party all weekend, come on Monday. You know? She was real adamant about that seven-day-a-week marriage thing, you know? But I got nothing to do with that. That, that, that could cause you legal problems. No. Now, I had a lot of legal problems. But I don't, I was thoroughly convinced. I don't know what I'd done to make them mad, but the police were mad. Because every time they see me, they arrest me. Every time they had my picture and my license plate on every dashboard in Salt Lake City. Because when they, they, I'd be doing nothing wrong. I'd be walking down the street. A cop drives by, sees me. I get arrested. You know? It happened to me. I'm walking down the street not hurting anybody. A cop drives by, sees me. I go to jail. There's nothing wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm not driving. I'm walking. I get arrested. Okay? 
Okay, it was 3.30 in the morning, but you got to be able to walk on any street in America you want to at 3.30. It's a free country. I get arrested for it. All right, there was a rainstorm. There was a bad rainstorm going on, but you had to be able to walk in the rain. It's free. Okay, I didn't have a shirt on. <laughs> you had to be able to walk without a shirt in the rain at 3.30 in the morning if you wanted. And I got arrested. I asked the cop why he stopped. Okay, I had a gash in my head. I had blood running down my head. <laughs> that was not my fault. I'd been in a cab earlier, told the cab to stop. I want to get out. He did not stop quick enough. I got out of that moving cab, hit my head on the ground. Tore my shirt, so I just threw the damn thing away, you know. And, and uh, <laughs> cops, I stopped to see if you're okay. I thought you'd been mugged. You know, found out who I was, arrested me. You know? <laughs> I had, a, I had a bad timing problem. A lot of alcoholics got a timing problem. I mean, I'd get arrested and I'd think, damn it, creeper. If I'd have been five minutes, if I'd have been five minutes sooner, okay, that cop would not have been at that intersection when I ran that light and I would have been fine. He would. And then I'd think, well, maybe I should have been five minutes later. And then he'd have been through the corner and I'd have been okay there. So I'm sitting in the bar. See, the problem is when you got a timing problem, you don't know whether to go or stay. <laughs> so I'd sit at the bar and I'd think, I wonder if it's time for me to go. <laughs> I always stayed, you know. I thought, if they'll just close these damn things at 2.05, I'll avoid a lot of trouble. You know, so at 2 o'clock they close the bars. But uh, it was a bad timing problem. I had, I had, I had, I had, the biggest problem I had was... Uh, see, Utah is at a high altitude. It's in the mountains. Well, you saw the Olympics. It's in the mountains. Okay? Scientific fact, people who live at high altitudes for prolonged periods of time have thinner blood than people who live at low altitudes. That's a true story. I saw it on the Discovery Channel. You know? I've been living in Utah my whole life. i got to have thin blood. If you party hard on thin blood, you're probably going to have a problem. What I need to do is get to sea level. I'll thicken up my blood a little bit, and I'm going to be okay. You know. So I call a buddy who lives in Seattle that sea level. I'm telling about these problems I got. He says, "Man, take a year off, come up here, stay with me and Gail, put your life back together." I said, "Well, I'd, Steve, I don't want to pose on you and Gail and your five kids." He said, <laughs> said, no opposition, so I'll be there Tuesday, you know, so I moved to Seattle, and I'm living in Seattle, I'm not doing anything in Seattle, just doing a little drinking, working on thickening up my blood, and uh, the next logical thing you want to do when you're in that kind of condition, hell, you're going to want to gamble, <laughs> best time to gamble is when you're unemployed, it really is, best time to gamble, and so I started playing poker, it was legal up there, these poker houses, so I started playing poker, and I thought, if you're a high flyer and a hot shot like me, you want to be where the real action is. And that was down in Nevada in the casinos back then. Now it's in California, but in the casinos then. So I started running down there and playing in the casinos. And I finally thought, who am I kidding? I'm just going to move to Nevada. You know, it's below sea level. Really get thick blood. So I moved down there, bounced around Las Vegas, ended up in Reno, Tahoe area. And uh, doing pretty good. You know, doing a little drinking. Uh... Playing a little poker, working on thickening my blood. Got a call from Price in Utah. Invited me to come over for the weekend, spend the weekend at a party. Shouldn't have gone, doing real good. 
in Reno, but I go over there. Got there on Friday. We went out to a place called the One More Time Club. <laughs> Private, but a great club. And I, I met her there. Hell, she was sitting. The, they're always sitting at the bar waiting. She's sitting at the bar waiting for me. Found her. And uh, <laughs> fell in love. Want to take her out. She wouldn't go out. She couldn't go out Saturday, Sunday. Had to stay till Monday. Take her out. Supposed to go home Sunday. Should have gone home Sunday. Stay till Monday. We got on this date Monday. That Monday was October 6, 1981. We got on this date, and there's a bad date. You know you got a bad date when you invite them to dinner, you know, and then they really want to eat. Because <laughs> I never eat when I drink. You know, you're not going to put out a fire you just started. So I, I'm not eating. I'm just drinking, and she's eating. But I'm a gentleman, so every time I order me whiskey, I order her a glass of wine. Well, she's busy eating, so she ain't keeping up. Her wine's stacking up, you know. <laughs> Now to keep reading the embarrassed, I drink my whiskey, drink her wine. It was just a bad day. So finally, she she take me home, and I want to take her home. She was no fun that night at all. So I took her home, dropped her off. It's 10:30. I knocked on Price's door, and he opened her door, and he said, "Oh, you had a date." I said, "That damn woman." I went in there, had a gallon of wine, because she just liked wine, so I bought a gallon, and she didn't drink it. So I took the wine in there, and I said, "Tomorrow night, we hit this town one more time, then I'm out of here. This habit of drinking is going to get me in trouble." So we drank that wine all night. And then the next day, Tuesday, October 7, we started drinking. Went down to the Joker Club. And uh, then we left the Joker Club. Went over to see the fashion show at the Hilton. And I remember the fashion show. You know? And then I blacked out. I black out a lot. Okay? Some blackouts are a little scary. Some aren't too bad. The thing that makes them scary is two things. How long you're blacked out. The longer you're blacked out, the more scary they are. And the next thing is, what you're doing when you come out of your blackout. Okay? And I, I wasn't blacked out all that long. A couple hours, maybe. And uh, when I came out, I came out of my blackout at the worst time. Without a doubt, the worst time. And those of you blackout know that the worst time to come out of the blackout is when you're talking to the cops. Because <laughs> you don't have a clue where you are in the conversation, you know? And you can't ask them. You can't say, now, where are we, what are we doing here? You can't do that. You know? And so you got to kind of figure out what it is they want, what you've already admitted to them, why they stopped you. And, and it's just, it's hell. It's hell. And I finally figured out they wanted my driver's license. <laughs> I didn't have a driver's license. <laughs> They're taking that three DWIs earlier. And uh, so I'm just trying to tell the cop, listen, I'm going right over there. So I'm going to go right over there and uh, pick my car up tomorrow. Appreciate you, but that's where I'm going to go. And they would not let me go. And he finally ran my license plate, found out who it was, arrested me. <laughs> so I'm in jail. And this time they're really pissed because okay? I can't even bond out. Okay? So I knew the system. You plead not guilty. No matter what you're arrested for, you plead not guilty. Right? No matter what, not guilty. And back then, you go to the OR. If it's just drunk stuff, go to the OR, get your, you know, get on your OR. Sometimes you got to post a small bond. The biggest bond I ever posted, I think, was fifty bucks, because the fine was only two fifty. And uh, so I'd post that uh, fifty dollar bond if I had to, and then I'd get out of my OR or get out of your OR, either one. And then, then you get you an attorney. They set a court date, and then you start that postponing process, right? Postpone, postpone, postpone. You keep postponing that thing as long as you get. What you're hoping, you're hoping the cop dies. That's what you're just die, just die, you know. And they never died. Mine never died. And they always showed up for court. And uh, so I had. Once the attorney says, "Okay, Don, tomorrow we go to court," 
You can no longer postpone this. Tomorrow we go to court. You want to be sure on the day before court, move. Okay? <laughs> that's what I, I moved. I never went to court. I just moved. So I had all these failure to appear things on there. And, that, and they're, they're real serious about that. And uh, they said, no, we're not letting you out. You can't get out this time. You don't, you don't come back. So you're going to court. So I'm in lockup. Don't like lockup. Don't, don't like nothing about lockup. A guy like me shouldn't be locked up. And, uh, but they won't let me out. So I'm in lockup. Finally, a buddy of mine named Stan, the not about AA, and now call Stan's got a lot of money. I grew up with Stan. And a dear friend of mine made a lot of money and had a lot of influence. And he comes down to see me. He says, okay, I've talked to some people. We can get you out. But you've got to be in my custody. And the only way I'll do that is if you promise me that you'll go to treatment because you're sick. And I said, oh, Stan, bless you. <laughs> you are so right. You know, I need treatment. I said, I don't know what it is. I get down there, I get in these bars, I get drunk, and I get all screwed up, and I need help. I guess I'm alcoholic. I need this help. I, I can't get it in here. He said, we'll get you out. So I got out of jail. Now, I had no intention of not drinking. I didn't want to quit. I'm not going to quit. I'm just getting out of jail. And I'll do or say anything to get out of jail. So I had to stay with Stan. So, next day, he throws me the yellow pages. Says, you don't know where you want to go, but you got to go to treatment. So I look in the yellow pages. I find out, yeah, all these treatment centers. I find this treatment center. And I call him up on the phone. I said, I need to, uh, I need to come out for a little treatment. <laughs> the gal says, do, do you have any insurance? <laughs> no. Don't have any. I haven't worked for three and a half years, you know. <laughs> any insurance? She says, well, it's, it's $12,000. I couldn't believe it. I said, hell, I don't want to stay all year. <laughs> That's unbelievable. It's very frustrating how much they wanted for treatment, you know. I called, they wanted $18,000, this other place. I said, I was so frustrated. I said, honey, listen, if I had, if I had $18,000, I wouldn't need your goddamn treatment. You know? <laughs> Oh, it's fresh. I finally called this one joint, and I said, I need to come in for some treatment. And she says, okay. And I said, well, you need to know something. I don't have any insurance. She says, okay. And I said, well, how much is it? She's a salesperson, so she's got to tell me benefits first. So she says, well, when you check in here, you get room, board, and therapy. Now, we have two kinds of therapy. Individual therapy with a counselor and group therapy. And it's nine bucks a day. And we check in and we apply for food stamps. We have a whole bunch of forms to apply for food stamps if you qualify. And then we put out those food stamps to the bill. And uh, then we get some funding from the state. So if you do some chores, we sign you around here. We pay you buck fifty a day, which you can apply to the bill or buy cigarettes. So if you can buy cigarettes for a buck, uh, and if you did all that, it'd take you down about five bucks a day. I couldn't believe it. I said, "How long is your waiting list?" So those other places want 12, 18,000. They had 30 to 60 waiting lists just to get in. So how long is your waiting list? She says, well, we, we have a bed for you tonight. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really need to come tonight. <laughs> she says, I think you need to come tonight. I got a problem with this place. Think about it, guys. They got bargain rates. Nine bucks a day, room board therapy. They can't fill their beds. Okay? Now they're high pressure me to get me to come in down here. <laughs> I'm the consumer. I got my rights. I said, honey, listen, make my reservation for Saturday. Or just forget the whole damn deal. So she made them for Saturday. 
I didn't drink. I don't know why. I just didn't drink. Hung out with Stan. Didn't drink. Saturday came. Drove down there. Parked in that parking lot. Sat in that parking lot for hours watching them go in there. Watching those guys go in and out, in and out. I wanted to see what kind of person goes to a $9 day jitter joint. You know? <laughs> and you know what those guys going in there? Were alcoholics? I could tell looking at them they were alcoholics. What? Look at that guy. He's an alcoholic. You can tell look at that guy. They didn't look like y'all look. Y'all don't look like alcoholics. Look. But those guys going in there, they look like alcoholics. And I wasn't an alcoholic, but it fit my budget. <laughs> so I checked in. <laughs> Nothing happened. Filled a whole bunch of papers on Saturday. Sunday came. I had my first exposure to Alcoholics Anonymous. Two guys from outside came in, chaired the meeting. We had an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting there. 36 of us attended, all men, 36 attended. We're sitting there. These two guys talked for a long time. I didn't listen to a thing they said because I'm watching everybody else trying to figure out how to do AA. Okay? Because I'm a real chameleon. If I can figure out how to do AA, then I can go do AA. So I'm watching how everybody else acts. And I'm going to mimic them. That's what I do. So I'm watching everybody else. Nobody wanted to be there. Everybody's smoking, cigarettes, drinking coffee. Nobody's listening. These guys talked for a long time, it seemed like. And then they started down the road. It was a discussion meeting. They were sharing. First guy introduced himself. said, my name's Joe B. I'm an alcoholic, and I'll pass. Next, I said, my name is Jim S. I'm an alcoholic. I'll pass. Hell, I cut on real quick. <laughs> what they do in Alcoholics Anonymous, they give their first name, last initial, admit to the group they're alcoholics, and then pass. Because <laughs> if you pass, then you get out of there quicker. Okay? But there's something magical about admitting to the group you're alcoholic. You're just going to take that alcoholism off your shoulders. That must be the deal to admit it to the Because they had it printed on the wall. Admitted you're powerless over alcohol. That must be. So it got to me. I did it right. I said, my name is John A. And I'm an alcoholic. Nothing happened. Not a damn thing happened. Well, I guess I'm not alcoholic. You know? And if I am an alcoholic, I may have a little bit of alcoholism. Alcoholics Anonymous must be for the real simple-minded people. <laughs> Not for anybody with any brain, just simple-minded people. Now, as distorted perception that is of Alcoholics Anonymous, that was my perception of A. It ain't for me. You know? No, I'm not an alcoholic anyway. That was on Sunday. Monday, I got to meet my counselor, Dale. Lovely lady. We talked for an hour. That was my individual counseling session with Dale. And I talked to her. She wanted me to stay two months. Dale, 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 Dale. <laughs> I've been here all weekend, okay? I've <laughs> been talking to these guys. They've told me about this program here, how you know, that first month you're going to break me down. You're going to get me to be open and honest. I said, let me save a month right there. Because I've always been open and honest. <laughs> and I've got a great mind. I read real fast. do real well in school. You get my manuscripts, find out my transcripts, find out how how well I did in school. I read real fast, did real well. And I'm too busy to stay two months. I just cannot stay two months. She said, you're busy? I said, yes, I'm busy. I can't do it. She looks through her papers and she said, well, where are you working? Said, well, I'm not working. But I'm busy. Isn't that true about alcoholics? Isn't that true? Alcoholics are the most busy unemployed people you ever want to meet in your life. Watch them. Come to the meeting tomorrow. All right? Come to the meeting tomorrow. Now, if the guy's unemployed, he's got nothing to do but get to the meeting, and he's late. He say, where have you been? Hell, I've been busy. <laughs> I don't know what we do, but we're busy doing it. You know, we're just busy guys. And, and uh, So she listens. I said, so you give me whatever material you're going to study during that two-month period, okay? I'll read it through. I'll 
reading it. You give me pop quizzes if you want. Because two weeks, I'm out of here. I'll give you two weeks, and I'm out of here. Because, see, I'm not going to quit drinking. That's not what I'm doing there. I just figured treatment time is better than jail time, right? Now, I don't tell anybody that, but I, feel, I figured two weeks will f- fulfill my obligation to stand, to get some treatment, then I can get back to Reno and get on with my life. I'll never come back to Utah that high altitude drinking again, you know? <laughs> so she doesn't all that BS, and says, finally she says, well, we better hurry. Damn, I better hurry than me. I was on Monday. Tuesday, I got to go to group therapy. Love group. God, I love group therapy. Group therapy is so fun. You get to sit around that big circle, you know, facing each other. And it's different than AA, okay? Because in AA, you know, if you're in a discussion meeting and you pass, say, ah, oh, my name's John, I'll pass. Then, like, 20 minutes later, you have something you want to say. You can say, oh, oh, can I take it back? I don't want to pass. I don't want to pass. I want to take it back. Can I pass? You can't do that, okay? There, you can, you can do that. And you can talk more than once. And and you can cross talk. <laughs> and you got that old group lingo, you know, I call on that group lingo real quick. You know? Oh come on, man, get honest. <laughs> Crazy. Hey, you're in denial, man. I love that kind of stuff. I just love that kind of stuff. You know? I never see much good come from it, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun to do. All on Tuesday. Wednesday is alcoholic education seminar. Yeah, the show in a movie. I'm not impressed with the movies about drug addiction. They're boring. I don't even watch them today. They're boring to me. So I'm sitting there in all my ego and all my pride and all my contempt, prepared not to like this movie. And the name of the movie they're showing was I'll Quit Tomorrow. So I'm sitting there. It tore me up. I couldn't believe it. It was like they made a movie of my life. And they were showing it to the group. I mean, I did everything that guy did. I related to everything in that movie. I talked the way that guy talked. I dressed the way that guy dressed. I acted the way the guy acted. I drank. I drank the way the guy drank. I did everything the guy, I related to everything. And I knew the gig was up. That was my moment of clarity as I'm watching that. And I'm seeing myself in that movie. I knew the gig was up. That was my moment of clarity. What happened to me that night is I quit looking for that definition. What's an alcoholic? How do you know you're an alcoholic? What's an alcoholic? Later found out in AA, see, we don't have a definition of an alcoholic. I couldn't define an alcoholic for you tonight. What we have in AA is a description. So you can't argue with the description. You can argue with the definition. That's why Webster's got ten definitions for every word, right? Mm-hmm. But you can't argue with the description. The most powerful tools God has given AA is our description of the alcoholic. Because it's that description that seems to have the power, as the alcoholic relates to it, to literally strip everything that separates the alcoholic from himself. And I could see me that night like I'd never seen me. I could see me that night like my mom saw me. I could see me that night like Mac's wife saw me. The difference was I could see me. And I knew the gig was up. My mom was clarity. And I wasn't happy about it. Sometimes you'll hear from this podium that people were so relieved to know what their problem was and they were an alcoholic. They were so relieved. That was not my experience. Okay? I mean, I was scared to death and I was pissed. I cried all night. Because now I'm an alcoholic. My God. I'm not, I can't drink. I'm an alcoholic. How am I going to function now in this world that scares me to death? And I cried all night. I figured the good times are over. You know, I'm an alcoholic. I know I'm an alcoholic. And I cried and I stayed there six weeks. Couldn't stay two months. Busy. Busy guy. But I didn't stay six weeks. I got out of there and they said, now you need aftercare. A very important part of recovery is aftercare. 
and you're living in Reno, we're in Saudi, 800 miles, you can't come back here three times a week for aftercare. So we're going to prescribe AA. You go to AA for your aftercare. And they give me intergroup's number. Well, I drove back here, you know, the first December, I knew two things when I got back there. I know I'm an alcoholic, I don't want to drink. I know that. And I also know AA has nothing to offer. I mean, because, come on, you go there, you do your first name, last initial, admit you're an alcoholic, and then pass, okay? <laughs> Been there, done that, don't need to go again, you know, I don't know why we keep doing that, but if you want it, might go to AA, and I don't want to drink, and I'm an alcoholic. So the first time back in town, I call AA in a group, I answer the phone, I said, my name's John A., I'm an alcoholic. Because <laughs> when I'm Bruce, I'm an alcoholic, John, what do you need? And I said, well, I just got out of treatment over here in Salt Lake City, I'm living here in Reno, and I wanted, you know, to call and report in. Yeah. I thought they had me on computer, you know. I thought they've got me. Don't want a failure to appear on my AA record, you know. So, guy says, "Well, he says, great." He said, "You want to go to a meeting tonight?" It was Thursday. I said, "Yeah, I can go to a meeting. You'll probably want to meet me." He said, "I'm not going to go." He said, "But there's a men's stag meeting at the Hope Riverside Casino, third floor, sir. It starts at 8:30." I said, "I don't know right where it is. I'll be there." So he said, "Okay." And uh, I said, I'll come to the Lord so we can meet. He said, well, I'm not going to go. I said, well, call them. You know, call them and let them know that I'm coming. <laughs> he said, they'll be there. Don't worry about it. Okay. So I show up 20 after 8. First resentment, Alcoholics Anonymous. Guy didn't call. Tell him I'm John A's coming. Just some guys sitting there. Nobody comes. So you must be John A. Is that treatment from Salt Lake? No. There's guys sitting around smoking cigarettes, drinking coffee, waiting for me. I got my coffee, sat down. I don't think anybody even talked to me. Kind of a cold group. And I sat down and got my coffee. And a pretty soon, a guy named Red got up to me. Red looked like an alcoholic. He talked for a long time, didn't listen to a word Red said, because I'm watching what these guys do. You know? They're, they're smoking cigarettes, drinking coffee, just like the other guys. And then they started down the roads. Well, these guys didn't pass. They were talking. They were sharing. I don't know what they were sharing about. I don't know what they were talking. I mean, there's nothing we talk about in treatment. They were talking. And they didn't, but they didn't even introduce themselves right. Some of them didn't give their last initial. Said, My name's John. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> Guy didn't give his last initial. <laughs> See, you're supposed to give your last initial. They didn't say, this is the way you should introduce yourself. John A. And they didn't introduce him. Some of them gave their last name. They said, My name's John Allred. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> Doesn't he understand anonymous? This is an anonymous program. They don't. So I thought, if you don't respect his anonymity, I will. I won't look at that guy. I won't look at him. Just... <laughs> nope. Don't know who you are. Don't know nothing about you. If I see you on the street, I don't know who you are. I'm not even gonna say hi to you because it's an anonymous program. Don't know who you are. Okay? It became clear to me. They're talking about stuff. That we didn't talk about in treatment. Nothing we talked about in treatment. Really. I mean, I sat half the through that meeting. Nobody mentioned we got an XY chromosome deficiency. <laughs> I mean, it became clear these guys have not been to treatment. Okay? So I finally got my turn to share. I thought I'd help. And I qualified. I said, my name is John A. And I'm an alcoholic. And I said, listen, guys, I just got a treatment over here in Salt Lake City. And I have the latest, most up-to-date medical, <laughs> psychological information. My second is at my name. Red cut me off. I said, thank you, John. Went on the next guy. Look at this. Son of a bitch is jealous. <laughs> I know stuff he don't know. That's what his problem is, you know. 
after me some guys come up shook my hand and said we hope you come back <laughs> tell me back they need me down there you know <laughs> they're run me out now Chuck Tim used to always sit around as my teacher some people teach me what to do some people teach me what not to do please keep in mind most of what I share is what not to do okay because I've done this deal all wrong I don't know where I was when they said 90 meetings in 90 days it's not the way I did it I did one meeting a week Every Thursday, I'm in my men's tag group. Now, they will not let me share. But I keep going back. I figure I'm a hell of a lot younger and red. He's going to die. Then I get to share. Could die this week. He looks like he's going to die this week. Let me tell you what happens when you go to one meeting a week. You haven't tried that deal. Some of you have. They told me treatment. One of the things they told me treatment, which is true, they said, John, don't drink. Okay, just don't drink. If you don't drink, you're going to feel better. Okay? That's true. But see, they didn't explain what that meant. If you don't drink, you will feel better. You're going to feel everything better. You're going to feel all the pain, all the anger. All the, you're going to feel that shit a whole lot better, you know? So I'm walking around, you know, feeling better, going nuts. I mean, that's why I drink is when I feel better. I go nuts when I feel better. And so I'm down there. It was Thursday, and I'm in stag meeting, just going nuts. And it was, it was Christmas Eve. Tomorrow's Christmas. And they said, now, tomorrow's Christmas Day. You got nowhere to go for Christmas dinner. You can go to the Dryers Club for free dinner. There's a Skid Row Clubhouse over on Welshire. It's still there. So I thought, well, I got nowhere to go Christmas Day. So on Friday, I went over to the Dryers Club. And I ate. It was good. And I got a cup of coffee, smoked a cigarette, just killing time. And uh, here comes a guy. You know, they start walking across the room at you. Not my kind of guy. He's an old guy. There's nothing cool about this guy at all. He's fat. He's a fat old guy. Not my kind of guy. He's got a big nose, real funny hair. There's nothing cool about the guy. I like cool guys. This guy's not cool at all. Fat old guy. He comes over, introduces His name is Don. He's a coordinator of intergroup. Found it very important to let me know he's a coordinator of intergroup. I had no idea. Big deal. Okay. But he's talking to me. And it became clear after talking to Don for just a few minutes. Don had not been to treatment. So I start to share with Don the stuff that they will not let me talk about in my home group. He gets a funny look on his face and he says, would, would you like to go to a meeting with me tonight? I said, well, hell, Don, it's Friday. I go Thursday, so over to the men's stag group. <laughs> he says, we got a meeting every night in Reno. And that month I've been going to A, I'd heard something about spirituality. This is a spiritual-based program. So I said, okay, spiritual program, it's Christmas. I can go twice this week. Won't hurt. Okay. So this guy I don't like comes by, picks me up, takes me out to the state hospital. I got a meeting at the state hospital at seven o'clock on Friday. We got a state hospital. We walk in there. I love it. They give you a raffle ticket when you go to that meeting. They still do it. You get a raffle ticket, and then mean they raffle off a big booker's bill season. Okay. So I get my raffle ticket. Walk into the meeting. Women in that meeting. First meeting I've been to with women in the meeting. I didn't know they let them in. I didn't. I thought it was a man's deal. I've been to Minister Rap Joint, Minister Stag Meeting. I got women in this meeting. I thought, geez. Hey, baby. <laughs> I immediately adopted as my home group. <laughs> why, why have I been going Thursdays when I come here Friday? You know, this is great. So they, they had some, I don't know what they talked about because I'm busy praying. Okay? Because although I have a great mind, I read real fast, I forgot to get a big book. Now, this is it, man. I'm winning the book. I'm, I'm probably the only guy here without a big book. I'm, it's Christmas Day. This is going to be God's gift to me on Christmas. This book. I'm winning that book. I prayed. 
Nobody's prayed like I prayed. I prayed all hour for that book. By the time that meeting's over, God can give the book nobody would be. The book is mine. I want the book. Okay? <laughs> then mean that when it has Raff, Raff lost the big book. Third is at my name. Some of the greater lady, 25 years sober, wins my book. What was she doing winning my book? She's got 25 years sober. Can't see to read. She's got five in my home collecting dust. Win my book. I'm storming out. Before I get out of there, that little lady comes up and gives me that book. That's where I got my book. I took that book home. And I used to say I took a book home and I read it from cover to cover. Okay? So if you ever heard me say that, or if you ever get hold of one of those old, old tapes back there, where I said that on the tape, please believe me, though, when I said that, hell, I believed it. Then I got involved in a big book. So you wouldn't believe the chapters they got in that book. Unbelievable chapter. They got a chapter in the book, chapter to the wives. Okay? Well, I wasn't a wife, didn't have a wife, didn't want a wife. Didn't read that chapter. They got a chapter in the book, chapter to the employer. Hell, I'm not an employee. Okay? Didn't read that chapter. They got a chapter in that book, We Agnostics. Okay? Well, I wasn't agnostic. I knew God real well. Okay? Didn't read that chapter. Well, if you just read chapter 3 and chapter 5, you can read that book tonight. It won't take you that long to do it. Really won't. You can do it. The next day, this guy calls me, takes me to the, every day, this guy's calling me on the phone, taking me to a meeting. And I don't really want to go to a meeting. Okay? But he doesn't ask, do you want to go? He says, hey, I'll pick you up in 20 minutes. Click, hang up. And I'm thinking, God, I don't want to go. You know? But I got to. Because he's the only guy talking to me in a. What's he going to talk about behind my back if I don't show up to defend myself? I got to go to that meeting. Got to go to that meeting. So he takes me to the meeting. Interesting happened. Now, at that time, I hadn't worked any steps, didn't have a sponsor, nothing. The only change in my life is I'm going to a meeting every single day. That's it. I not only start to feel better, but I start to feel good. I hadn't felt those two things at the same time in years. And all of a sudden, sobriety started to put on flesh and bones. And I started meeting other alcoholics. I started to get pumped up and excited about going to AA. And it was embarrassing. God, at first, because Donald would come get me. We'd get in his car. We're driving to the meeting. I'm excited. And I'm feeling like a little kid. And I'm sitting there next to him. Don, you think we can go get ice cream tonight? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. I really want to do that. <laughs> I'm hanging out with other AAs. I'm starting to get excited. I'm feeling better, feeling good. And I'm down at intergroup during the day drinking coffee, meeting other AAs. And I'm down there a week later. It's Thursday, New Year's Eve. I'm going to my men's stag meeting Thursday night. I'm in my intergroup. I'm pumped up. Phone rings. Intergroup. I grab the phone. Young kid at, on the, Glenn. His name is Glenn. 17 years old. He wants to know how to stay sober New Year's Eve. I said, why? <laughs> When it's New Year's Eve, you're 17, okay? Nobody gets sober New Year's Eve at 17. Now call tomorrow. Go out and have a good... Don grabs that phone away from me. That's when he passed the rule of central office. You have to have six months more spry to answer the phone. <laughs> Print a big sign up there. Six months more to answer the phone. Yeah. My fourth is... Don, I don't know what he said. Give me his phone number. Don't give me my phone number. The next day, Glenn, Don calls me and says, Hey, Glenn stayed sober last night and wants to go to a meeting. I thought, great. So Don comes and gets me. We go get Glenn. My first 12-step car. I'm excited, man. We're going to 12-step this guy. We get in the car. We're driving out to the state hospital where I got my big buck. And damn it, Don's just driving the car. He didn't know how to make a He's not preparing Glenn for AA. He's not telling Glenn all about it. He's just driving the car. Uh, hell, I got to do it all. I just got to do it all around here. 
So I start telling them all about A. Man, I said, you're going to love this, man. You get women your first meeting. You're going to have women here your first meeting. You're going to want to come back here every single Friday night because they're good-looking women here. This meeting has the best women in the in the town. You want to come back every every Friday night. And then I said, in that meeting, we're going to get a raffle ticket. And in the meeting, they raffle off a big book or bill season. And if God loves you, you win the book. <laughs> Don does say, well, Don just drives to the meeting. So we get to the meeting. We get a raffle tickets. They got a meeting. I don't know what they're talking about because I'm busy praying for Glenn. Come on. <laughs> Come on, God, let Glenn win that book. Just after I prepared him and told him about that, if he can win that book, okay, that'll be proof. God working, and he'll stay sober forever. And not, not that it really matters, but, you know, I would have a 100% 12-step cost success rate. <laughs> I read articles in the grapevine about how to do that. I have 100% 12-step cost So I had this raffle, and they made him raffle off the big book. I won the book. <laughs> Don turned to me and said, see how that works? I said, yeah, I signed it, gave it to Glenn. That's where Glenn got his book. Okay? And Glenn's sober today. Because okay? I gave him that book. That's why I'm sober. <laughs> now, that, that little experience early in my sobriety taught me a lot. Because it taught me how God works. See, God works through people. See, by working through people, it becomes a win-win deal. Whenever God works, there are always two winners. It's a win-win deal when God works. Always two winners. God works through people. See... I could have won the big book that first night. There'd been one winner, me. But a little lady won by being able to share. Uh, but I won by being able to share with that lady, and that lady won by being able to share with me. A week later, two winners. I won by being able to share with Glenn, and Glenn won by being received from me. God works with people. Always two winners when God works. It's a win-win deal. It also taught me how Alcoholics Anonymous works. Because Alcoholics Anonymous is one drunk sharing with another. And when that happens, it's a win-win deal. There are always two winners when one alcoholic shares with another. See, I've told that story a thousand times every year. Every time I tell that, I remember that moment of clarity. When I'm sitting there in that jitter and watching that movie, and I know the gig is up. I'm convinced that all of us here that are sober and alcoholics on us have had that moment of clarity. And you knew the gig was up. I'm equally convinced those that come to AA for a while and leave and are out there drinking and dying tonight had that moment of clarity. What's the difference between those of us that are sober and those of us that have died or are drinking? I think what happens in Nakhon's time is really pretty simple. What we do in here is we keep that moment alive. We keep it alive. Because as I have shared my moment with you of what it was like and what happened, what have you thought about and when I'm on that side of the podium, and one of y'all is up here, and you're sharing your moment of what it was like and what happened, and I'm on that side, and I'm listening to that. By the way, isn't this the perfect program for people whose root problem is they're selfish, self-centered? Because <laughs> when you're up here and you're remembering your moment, I'm so self-centered, what am I thinking about? My moment. Screw your deal. You know? <laughs> you know? We keep it alive. We keep it alive. And it only happens when one alcoholic shares with another. We keep that moment alive. You can't keep that moment alive by sharing it with your therapist. They don't need to hear it. It ain't a win-win deal. My very life depends on hearing it to keep my moment alive. You can't keep the moment alive by sharing it with your doctor. They don't need to hear it. I need to hear it. And when one alcoholic shares with another, we keep that moment alive. And what happens when you lose your moment? You take drunk. Okay? We keep it alive. What have we shared so far? We've only shared two things. How powerless I was over alcohol and how unmanageable my life was. We keep that moment alive. And we'll talk about the rest of the program next week. Thank you.